Well, my name is Matt Sawada, one of the, the pastors here on staff. And once again, it truly is an honor to open God's word with you this morning. Happy New Year, by the way. 2023. That's, who would have thought? Uh, 2023. That's fast. Crazy to think how fast we have, have arrived here. I've got some friends. They are coming down these aisles with Bibles. If you are with us this morning and need a copy of God's Word in your hands, uh, please raise your hand. They'd love to, to pass that along to you. We're going to begin this morning in Colossians 1. So if you want to start flipping that way, uh, you please do so. It's going to be a minute before we get there, but that's where we're, we're going to kick things off. Before we jump into Colossians 1, though, we're going to talk about one of the five senses that God has given us. Five senses. You know, most of us have the ability to touch, to taste, to see, to smell, and to hear. You know, these, these are God-given senses. And this morning, we're specifically going to talk about aromas and fragrances. Hence the question Alex asked a minute ago, what was your favorite smell? I think that smell could possibly be one of the strongest senses that we have. There certainly is something about a great smell. There's something about a bad smell too, right? <laughs> so, so this morning, you know, as you guys turned to your neighbors and shared what your favorite smell was, some of you might have said, well, it's four drops of this oil and two drips of this oil into a diffuser. Oh, it smells heavenly. I'm so motivated in that moment. The rest of you probably just said coffee, right? Right? It's, you know, Folgers might have had it, right? The best part of waking up is what? Folgers in your cup? I think it's all black tar to me. So to me, coffee doesn't, doesn't do it. But for me, you know... Uh, some of those, those aromas, some of those scents. The first is, there's nothing like walking into the kitchen with bacon on a griddle. The smell of bacon just kind of going through the house is about right. It's a good one. Also, like, also turn in the corner, walking to the kitchen, and you, you just get the smell of fresh cookies. Right? There's something about the, the bacon grease and the, the baked sugar right? that, that's about right. Another scent that to Matt is, is significant. You know, there, uh, last week, you know, single digits, I had to bundle up to take the dog out. I loved those moments, right? Uh, and as I stepped out of the house, one of my neighbors had, had a fire going. You could, you could turn and you could see the smoke coming out of the chimney, and you just, you just got a whiff of, a, of the wood logs being burnt. And I paused, and I just inhaled. And I really wanted to be inside next to a fire with a piece of bacon and a warm cookie <laughs> and a good book, yeah. right? I, I, I just, there's something about these aromas that can take us to another place. 
For me, and this one might be weird to some of you, bacon and cookies are kind of normal. When I walk into an indoor pool and I get hit with the overwhelming smell of chlorine, I love it. I love it, right? There's, uh, I grew up swimming competitively. So I, I, I put my hours and miles in in the pool. And there's something about that, that smell of chlorine that just, just seems right. These smells, right, they represent memories. And that's why I would say that, that each of these senses arguably is so distinct and strong in their own ways, but our sense of smell triggers something in us. Our sense of smell, you know, I just took you down a positive memory lane, but the reality is that this sense doesn't discriminate. There, there could be smells that could take you down a negative one. There could be this, these senses that remind you, the sense of smell could remind you of a pleasurable moment or a really unpleasant one. Believe it or not, though, you, you have an aroma. And this morning, I could take my time, and instead of opening God's word with you, I could walk up and down your aisles, sniffing. I'm not going to do that because that'd be so weird. <laughs> that'd be pretty awkward. But I could walk and say, yeah, yeah, you didn't brush your teeth today. <laughs> yeah, oh, that smells like Old Spice. Oh, yeah, you didn't shower after last night. We, we all carry these aromas and try to do our best to hide them with these substances, Right? Hopefully, showering and soap and shampoo and deodorant or whatever, toothpaste. But that this morning isn't the aroma that I'm going to allude to. This morning, uh, I'm going to propose that each of us has an aroma that is either pleasing to God or it's one that he dislikes. Uh, this morning, we're going to call that your spiritual aroma. And it goes beyond bad breath. It goes beyond the scent you either are or aren't wearing because that aroma is attached to your heart. But before, we, before I continue to discuss how you smell before the Lord, would you please just pray with me? Let's go before him and ask for him to be blessed with this time. Father, thank you for who you are. Thanks for your son. And Father, thanks for this family. Thanks for the privilege it is to worship with each of these brothers and sisters. And Lord, I pray this morning as we uh, continue our worship, Father, I just ask that the, the words out of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts would be pleasing to you. Father, thank you for the privilege it is to, to study your word together and to worship you in this context. And we commit these moments to you and pray this in your son's beautiful name. Amen. Big word here. It's a word called catechism. Catechism. Catechesis. A, a, a catechism is an effort to, to help train and teach doctrine or theology. 
Uh, There's a lot of examples of different catechisms out there. Uh, One in particular, the the Westminster Catechism begins with a, it begins and is actually all about, it's just questions and answers. You ask a question and someone can then answer that question. And through uh, the strategy of question and answer, you begin to learn different doctrines or scriptures or concepts that, that help us worship in, in a new way. And the first question and answer process in this Westminster Catechism, it's a pretty well-known one. Now, the first question is, what is the chief end of man? If I were to ask you that question, what is the chief end of man, what would you say? Yeah, some of you have been through this. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. I know where some of you kind of went to church, probably. (laughs) What is the chief end of man? Essentially, we're asking this question, what's our purpose? What is the purpose of, of me, of you, as a human who walks and talks and breathes on this earth? What's our purpose? And the answer to that is that my chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy him for how long? Forever. To glorify God and to enjoy him forever. See, the reason that we as humans were created is to bring our our Father, Heavenly Father, glory. In In other words, it's to please him with our lives. We want we want to make our father smile. That's our purpose. All this other stuff about money and bank accounts and living healthy and all the different things that resolutions we made, that's all, that's, all, that's all secondary because our chief end is to glorify our God. The, the problem, though, with that is that left to ourselves, we, we can't do that. Left to myself, I can't glorify God at all. It's because of this thing called sin. It's this thing that you and I and we all have. And so left to ourselves, we can't have an aroma that is pleasing to God. Because we're spiritually stinky. So the question then is, okay, well, how do I solve this problem? What do we do? Well, thankfully, God's provided a solution in the person of Jesus. And you've heard me recite this verse from this pulpit before, 2 Corinthians 5.21. Thankfully, God in his grace and mercy has given us his son. And this verse says this, it's a God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So let me unpack that. God made him, God made Jesus perfect who had no sin to be sin for me, to be sin for you, so that in him, to to cover my spiritual stink, through Jesus, this perfect sacrifice, God has given me the potential to be a pleasing aroma, to, to be righteousness, and to become more like him. You see, because of Jesus, our position is secure. Because of his birth, life, death, resurrection, we now are justified. Through a relationship with Christ, there's no question 
about whose family we're in and been adopted into. But after that, now we're, what does it look like to live this life adopted and engrafted into his family? Well, now this is a process. You see, positionally, we're secure, but this process is called sanctification. And this is what we're doing today and tomorrow and what we did yesterday. It's this process of being made holy, becoming like him. This morning, and maybe we could say it this way, sanctification is the process of smelling good before the Lord. I'll use bad English. It probably is, in some ways, a little bit more accurate. It's the process of smelling gooder before the Lord. Gooder. That's a word. You see, it's, it's a fragrance-changing process, sanctification is. And over time, and by the guidance of his spirit, our lives can pr- begin to produce a stronger fragrance, or maybe more accurately, a more continuing, continually pleasing fragrance or aroma to our Father. Uh, Martin Luther says this. He says, this life, therefore, is not righteousness, but growth in righteousness, not health, but healing, not being, but becoming, not rest, but exercise. We are not yet what we shall be, but we are growing towards it. The process is not yet finished, but it is going on. This is not the end, but it is the road. I love this last line. All does not yet gleam in glory but all is being purified. You see, the end of this process is glorification. Our position is secure through Christ, and that allows us to begin this process so that when our heart stops beating, our place shifts. We're in a new place at that point. So this justification leads to sanctification with ends in glorification. This process encompasses the rest of our lives and unfortunately is made difficult because it's not natural to us. Our nature doesn't naturally desire Jesus. It's this thing called sin, right? And the reality is it's only through Christ that we could possibly please our Father. So the question, thanks for asking it, how can our lives create an aroma that pleases him? What does this process look like? And how do we begin to grow in this? Uh, As I mentioned, Colossians 1, if you'll turn there with me, I'm just gonna read Paul's prayer to this church. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians, then you get to Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Colossians. That's where we are in the New Testament today. Colossians 1, verse 3. Paul says this. We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you. Because we've heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love you have for all God's people. The faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven and about which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that has come to you. In the same way, the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world, just as it's been doing among you since the day you heard it and truly understood God's grace. 
So Paul here is thanking God for the process of sanctification in the lives of these believers. He's saying the gospel is changing people throughout the world, but it's also changing you. And Paul's thankful, right? It is this gospel is bearing fruit and growing, not only worldwide, but personally. And he goes on to explain what that looks like in verse 9. He continues his prayer. And he says this, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives, so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. How can we do that? Well, by bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of God, and being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. So that, so what does that look like? You will be patient with great endurance and give thanks, joyfully giving thanks to the Father. So what does maturity look like? This growth process, this fragrance-shifting process is creating this aroma that's pleasing to God. And it essentially changes the way we live. Every good work. We can bear fruit in those. Talks about joyfully giving thanks, increasing in patience. These are really cool traits. But all right, Matt, how do we, how do we grow in that? Well, first off, let me side note, Parents, Colossians 1 would be a great prayer to pray over your kids in 2023. Challenge you. Pray God's word back to him over your kids. It's a pretty cool habit to, to begin. And Colossians 1 would be a great place to start. Uh, but secondly, what, what we do begin to see throughout scripture is there are many different things that, that uh, God's word describes that, that are pleasing to him. Right, Colossians 1.10, that we would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. Okay, well, what would please him in every way? I think God answers that question in his word. In Philippians 4, what you see is the Apostle Paul writing back to the church in Philippi, and he says this, 4.18, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts that you sent. So the church of Philippi tagged this guy Epaphroditus to bring these gifts to Paul. And what Paul says is those gifts, they are a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice that is pleasing to God. So the first thing that we know is pleasing to God is generosity. Sacrificial generosity is pleasing to God. Note that he didn't give a number And note that he didn't tell you, it's got to be five digits. It's got to be on the first day of the month. He's not giving specifics here, but what he's saying is their heart posture of generosity made God smile. It was pleasing to the Father. Paul goes on to explain some, some more ways to do that. You see this in Ephesians 5, right? In the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing back to the church in Ephesus, And chapters four, five, and six 
are, are really beginning to explain how do we live this life worthy of the gospel to which we've been called. That's Ephesians 4.1. Well, Ephesians 5.2 says this. Uh, hey, church, I want you to walk in the way of love. Walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's saying, hey, church, you want to please God? Imitate Jesus. Imitate Jesus and walk in love. Now, what does that look like? Well, that is a sacrificial love. He said, I want you to sacrificially be generous, your money, with your time, with your gifts, but I want you to sacrificially love. I want you to sacrificially live. That sacrificial love is an offering that's pleasing to God. Thirdly, we see it time and time and again in the Old Testament. The, here's this, this nation called Israel, and they were bringing sacrifices to God. And you see this, well, let's just pick one of the instances, Exodus 29. This is when the priests were being consecrated. They were being prepared to, to actually be priests. And one of the steps of that process was in verse 18, 29, 18. He says, then burn the entire ram on the altar. It is a burnt offering to the Lord, a pleasing aroma, a food offering presented to the Lord. Some of you earlier might have said steak was a pleasing offering, right? This is a, man, it smells so good to have meat on a grill. That might have been the scent you mentioned. But my guess, it's not just because God likes meat. This is a heart posture that this nation was, was doing. They were coming to this altar in a, from a, a posture of repentance and confession. And so we've seen that generous, uh, sacrificial generosity is pleasing to the Lord. That sacrificial love, that sacrificial living is pleasing to the Lord. We see that sacrificial repentance and confession is pleasing to God. Now open with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 2. Again, hit the Gospels, Acts, Romans, 1 and 2 Corinthians We'll be in chapter two, if you'll turn there with me. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, and he is again speaking on how they should live. Verse 14 says this, but thanks be to God, who always leads us as captives in Christ's triumphal procession, and uses us to spread the aroma of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are to God the pleasing aroma of Christ among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. To the one, we are an aroma that brings death. To the other, an aroma that brings life. Who is actually equal to such a task? And so we, we've seen the generosity and love and living and repentance. These are things that honor the Lord and kind of make him smile, that please him. We see here is so does evangelism. So does sharing your faith. So does living in such a way that communicates and spreads this aroma to those who might not know him. He's saying, Corinth, uh, the way you live matters. When you speak about Jesus, the results aren't on us. That's, that's his job. 
But when we speak about Christ, that's really pleasing to his Father. And so, so what we've seen here, uh, especially in Corinthians, is that requires a, there could be a sense in which when we talk about Jesus, our reputation is changed. There could be a fear of actually speaking about him. There could be a, a, a reality, there could be a reaction that might, might not be positive. So that requires a sacrifice, doesn't it? Hopefully you've seen a theme here. There's this theme of dying to self. There's this theme of, of sacrificial living. None of these are about my or our comfort. It's often not comfortable to give generously. It's not comfortable to live and love like Christ. It's not comfortable to, to have to talk about Jesus to people who know you really well or people who don't. None of these highlight the control that I have in my life of these situations. And so they encompass a selflessness. That heart level dying to self creates a fragrance that is pleasing to the Lord. It creates an aroma that, that just makes him smile. And that's a daily struggle for me for you, probably not even daily, it's a situational struggle. Essentially, Jesus is at the core of what is pleasing to our Heavenly Father. For instance, most of us agree that we would want to be healthier this next year. You think about resolutions, I bet the majority of them come down to something about health in some way or another. And the, the reality, though, is many of us aren't willing to make the sacrifices necessary to actually live healthier. That would actually mean working out. Who wants to do that, right? That would mean, that would mean maybe eating differently, saying no to certain things, and probably saying yes to others that are green. Who wants that, right? I don't want to make those choices, <laughs> I'm going to say yes to the sugar-filled ones. So that, that changing our lifestyle, foregoing the things you enjoy, and saying yes to things that maybe you don't, that requires sacrifice on our part. It's often the same for spiritual growth. A relationship with Christ on the surface is appealing, and it's a goal, it's, a, it's what we all want but that kind of growth requires self-sacrifice. That kind of growth requires this, this generosity, this love, this willingness to step out of a comfort zone and maybe confess sin. It requires a dying to self, a loss of control, or possibly uncomfortable decisions that keep us from Jesus. John Piper says this, he said, God's ultimate aim is not that through Christ we might have salvation, but that through salvation we might have Christ. Yes, sir. And so this is all about this first question in the, Western, the, the catechism, right? The Westminster Catechism. Uh, this is about knowing his son and enjoying him forever. And do you see that as more important today? Is, is Jesus more important than your comfort? 
Is Jesus more important than being in control? Is Jesus more important than achieving perfection? Right? It's not about getting A's on our righteousness report card. No, it's all about Jesus. And as we begin to know him and move towards him, that creates a fragrance that is pleasing to our Father. Because essentially, Jesus is at the core of everything that pleases our Father. So how can our lives create this aroma? Church, my prayer for you, for us, has been that we would individually and corporately pursue Jesus. That God would use the pleasing aroma of this church to change Lidditz, to change Lancaster, to change our workplaces and our families. That God would use the aroma created in and through us to change the world. It's happening, and I believe it can continue to happen. So the question is, how do we continue to develop into a church, into families, into men, women, and children who create this pleasing aroma? We've talked about what some of those things are, but how does change actually happen? In his book, this this gentleman, David Powlison, one of my heroes, favorite authors, right? He wrote this book, How Does Sanctification Work? He gives us four points. Four simple points on the screen. And his first point is that these, uh, these changes um, come from a couple different directions. They could happen individually or they could happen simultaneously. But the first way change happens is that God changes us. Uh, Philippians 2, 13 says this, it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. See, change is God-initiated and it is then spirit-driven. He's given us something that Jesus says in John 16 is actually greater than himself, his spirit. And he resides in us. And he, this Holy Spirit, is the one that begins to change us, the changing of our sinful nature to a spiritual one. And we can walk in him, and he leads us and guides us through change. So we see that God himself changes, right? It is initiated by him, and it is spirit-driven. We see that his word changes us. It's the word of truth, John 17, 17. Sanctify them by the truth. For your word is truth. We see this in Romans. Paul is writing to this church in, in Rome, this, this people group. And it says, 15.3, Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. So God uses his spirit to change. He uses his word to change us. This word, 2 Timothy chapter 3, is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. Hebrews tells us it's living and active. It is sharper than any sword and can pierce us to the core. And so God uses his spirit and his word to change us, but the reality is that change takes time and actually happens when we sit with him in his word. Well, thirdly, we see that that God uses his spirit, God uses his word, God uses each other. He uses us. He uses wise people to change us. 
Proverbs 16.30 says that whoever walks with the wise becomes what? Wise. Well done. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise. Have you noticed that who you hang out with uh, begins to change uh, what words you use? Your vocabulary changes. Your interests change. What you talk about and what you think about changes based on who you spend time with. So the question, church, is who are you spending time with? Are you spending time with him? Are you spending time with brothers and sisters who are pursuing him? Because change is a community project. And we really do become who we spend time with. I can't encourage you enough, church. Get connected. There are a number of opportunities in that bulletin this morning for you to connect to a family. Don't do this alone. The great place to start is called Starting Point. Join us, please. And let's pursue Christ and change together. So we see that God uses his spirit uh, to change us. God uses his word to sanctify us. God uses the people around us to change us. But God also uses circumstances. If you're anything like me, this, the skull is kind of thick. And he's got he's to get my attention that change is actually needed. And so he uses suffering or a hardship or trouble to get our attention. And James 1, it tells us that uh, we can consider it pure joy, my brothers, when we face trials of various kinds. Because we know that it develops perseverance and ultimately develops character. Ultimately, it develops a fragrance that pleases our, our daddy, our heavenly father. And so 2023 just kicked off. 2023 could be a year in which your fragrance changes significantly. Would you take this year seriously? One thing God has given us is time. We don't know how long we have. So I would challenge you, church, don't don't waste it. Sacrificially look for ways to be generous. Sacrificially look for ways to love. Sacrificially, look for ways to to share this good news. I would also challenge you, is an area of your life that stinks. And that in some of us can be really easy to identify. And others of us, it's a little bit more, it's deeper, it's insidious, it's a motive. It's it's something underlying all the layers of, of good works that we've put in place. Would you allow 2023 to be a year in which you do the hard work to identify some of that stink in you? And then once you do, ask our God to help. He's the one that initiates change and he's given us a spirit who does that. And then would you do me a favor and include someone else in that? Whether they're older or younger, doesn't matter. It could be in your life group could be in an ABF, could be a pastor, could not be a pastor. But remember, change is a community project. And so not only pray for help, but then ask for help. Give that person the permission to ask the hard questions. We need it. 
church. Allow 2023 to be a year in which our fragrance shifts. I'm not gonna promise that any of this is easy, but I can promise that we have a God, we have a Father who desires to draw near to you and journey this with you. You don't have to do this alone. So as we end this service, I love it. We get to kick off this new year with communion. And communion is a process. It's a, it's a reminder of all the things that are pleasing to God. This morning, we processed how to change through the lens of the aroma our life creates. Well, let's remember this morning that, uh, that Jesus modeled this aroma to us perfectly. He has the perfect scent. He willingly died so that we can enjoy a relationship with his Father. And changing our aroma begins and ends with Jesus Christ. Remember, Jesus is the essence of what is pleasing to God. Well, here at LEFC, we invite anyone who has entered into a relationship with Jesus to take communion as a reminder of their new life through Christ. And this morning, communion gives us an opportunity to do just that, to remember the new life we have through Jesus. If you missed picking up these elements at the door, please raise your hand. I've got some, some buddies who would love to, to pass them back out to you. They'll bring them to you. To start this communion time off, we're gonna take a moment of silence. And as we do so, as you sit in his presence, preparing to take these elements, to take communion, um, take this as an opportunity to examine yourself, identifying those stinky moments over the past few days and exposing them to the light of Jesus Christ. Let's take a moment of silence to do just that. So this bread reminds us of the new identity we have in Christ. We've stopped worshiping all these random things and have allowed Christ, who is now seated at the right hand of God, to also reside in our hearts. It's because of this heart change that we now have the resources of Christ, allowing us to live a life oozing with the fragrance that is pleasing to our Father. You gotta think, so many years ago when Jesus was at the table with his disciples. This fresh loaf of bread had an aroma. He, he probably ripped open this bread and it was freshly baked and smelled so good. I would imagine every time they ate a freshly baked loaf of bread, they remembered that night. So Paul and Corinthians says this, for I have received from the Lord what I also have passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, he took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. 
He said to do this in remembrance of me. This is the cup. It's through the shed blood of Christ on the cross that God has provided redemption from sin. Our fragrance has changed. Through the shed blood of Christ on the cross, his blood now covers each one of us. God now smells Christ in his perfect aroma rather than Matt and his spiritual stink. His death on the cross has satisfied the debt that we owe. And just like they could smell the bread as he tore it apart, uh, you can imagine they, they could smell the wine. They, the, that fragrance as they prepared to take a sip probably stuck with them for years to come. And so in the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Please pray with me. Father, we thank you again for your goodness to us. We thank you for these realities of life-changing, of fragrance-changing truth. Father, we need your son. And we're grateful for the many opportunities we have to, to show you what, what a life changed looks like. So Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your son. We thank you that you truly are our living hope. Would you please stand and sing this with us? Great the chasm that lay between us, how high the mountain I could not climb. In desperation, I turned to heaven and spoke your name into the night. Then through the darkness, Oh.
have an incredible living hope. Would 2023, would you allow this to be a year to make him known to those around us? Let's let this year, let's live out that chief end of man, right? To glorify him and to enjoy him forever. Uh, This next sermon series that we begin next week, we're actually going to spend five weeks looking at some of the driving distinctives of LAFC. 
How do, we, how do we be a church? How do we be individuals who love God, who love people, who live truth, proclaim Jesus within our oikos? It's going to be a great series. And I hope you'll consider joining us for those as well. You know, May 2023 be a year in which each of us, as it states in 2 Peter chapter 3, uh, may it be a year in which we would grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May this year be one in which your life creates an incredibly pleasing aroma to our Father in heaven. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. Uh, if you'd love to pray, I'd love to do so. We could talk. We've got some friends in the back in our encounter room. They'd love to connect with you as well. We love you guys. I hope you have a great day and a happy new year. We'll see you guys.